In every person, there resides a basic need that in the technical books on this topic is called the affiliative motive. Each of us likes to belong to some group of tightly knit people where we are known and accepted, where we are committed to each other, and where we know that the other members of the group will be loyal to us if we are in trouble. It is the old tribal instinct. Ideally, this will occur in our families where people forgive anything. When such devotion is cultivated in families, people may stray away for a while, but they inevitably return. If such a loyalty develops in a group of employees, it has a similar adhesive effect. People will stay on your staff even when they could earn more at another company, for an important psychological need is being met by their employer, the need to belong. It is not as some suppose that anyone has much allegiance to a company. The company man is a phenomenon of the past. If, in fact, such a person ever existed, who has ever had much loyalty to a company? But we do have lots of ties to the rather amorphous entity comprised of people with whom we have worked, to the traditions we have established for quality, and to the younger people who have come into the company and whose futures depend on what we build together. The following pages detail some characteristics that high morale organizations seem to have in common, and one of this is quality control. The best groups always take a great deal of responsibility for their own standards. Poor leaders make the mistake of remaining the sole custodian of quality control. Various good leaders encourage people to hold each other accountable for excellence. Here is an example from manufacturing. A friend bought a foundry a few years ago. Among the employees, he said, I found a group of old-timers who were a clique and stayed to themselves, but they consistently turned out the best work in the shop. When they got together to drink coffee, they would show each other their work, scoff at something that was poorly done, and admire what was good. I wasn't about to tamper with that clique and move the men around because not only did each one of them take pride in his work, there was also a strange group pride at work there. It was important that they not allow anyone among them to fail. The consequence was that they all did better work because of the inner competition and loyalty. That foundry owner had learned the important lesson of allowing group morale to do much of his work for him. Here is an example of the same principle at work in a family. At a banquet recently, I sat next to a charming woman whose six children had attended schools like Harvard, Stanford, and Wellesley. They were all achievers with not a bad apple among them. How in the world did you inspire them? I asked. Everyone asks me that, she laughed. And the embarrassing thing is that I don't think I did much. For instance, I never told them to do their homework or scolded them when they brought home poor grades. They seemed to motivate one another. For instance, I remember the day one of our daughters brought home a report card that was less than it should have been. I didn't say anything and put it back on the kitchen counter. But when her older brother came home, he looked at it, snorted, then went to her room and gave her a big pep talk. I'm not sure exactly what he said, but among other things, he convinced her that there were family standards which she was supposed to maintain and that if she didn't do well, it would be a reflection on everyone. 
It must have been some speech because she dramatically raised her grades on the next report card. She looked up to her brother and loved him so much she would have done anything to stay in his good graces. That mother had wisely done almost exactly what the good executive does. She had built a group-wide appreciation for excellence then let the group maintain it.